This is Tomorrow Today, Digital Doomsday with Mark Lind. So it's September 4th, 1882, and you're working in New York. Not just anywhere in New York, you're working at number 11 Wall Street, the home of the New York Stock Exchange. Now remember, this is a time when homes were heated by coal and lit by lanterns, and well, the primary mode of transportation was driven by hay. But today, September 4th, 1882, just a few blocks away where Pearl Street intersects Fulton, a young entrepreneurial inventor by the name of Edison is about to flip a switch. And when he does, he is going to light up this magical mile of Manhattan. Imagine what that must have been like. Imagine, not if you were in the light, but if you were across the river in the dark, looking toward this miracle of electrification. And now ask yourself, what if tomorrow it all stopped? Electricity, I think we can all agree, runs our world. And in fact, one of the top 10 inventions in history has to be one of the technologies that electricity enables, computers. So what if tomorrow they all stopped? Well, who better to talk to than our next guest? We're going to be talking today with Mark Lind. Mark currently serves as the head of digital business and is a member of the executive leadership team for NetSync, a global technology value-added reseller. Mark has more than 20 years of technology and cybersecurity experience, both as an entrepreneur and as an executive. He was ranked number one global security thought leader in 2022 by Thinkers360, and he was named one of the top global cybersecurity experts and speakers by Analytica in 2022. He's highly in demand as a thought leader, a featured speaker on topics ranging from cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and cloud computing to, wait for it, diversity, STEM, and veterans affairs. Mark's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Information Week, E-Week, CRN, CSO, MOUSE, I don't know, anything with letters on it. They like to feature Mark. I'm particularly thrilled to have him here today because he's a fellow veteran. He served honorably in the U.S. Army's 3rd Ranger Battalion and 82nd Airborne. Mark... Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you. No, I was looking forward to this. Uh, I'm really looking forward to our discussion uh, about the digital dues there. Yeah. You know, before we get there, the most important question is, do you remember Fry Field? And uh, <laughs> do you have fond memories? I do. I do. It's funny. Uh, since I speak all over the place, I end up uh, running into veterans continually, which which is a wonderful thing, right? And uh, we, we cover everything. We talk about all the different airfields, you know, that we, we, we hung out in the hangars and the Navy bases. Sure. We talk about, you know, uh, different drop zones, uh, you know, <laughs> in and out. Uh, it bases outside of CONUS, inside of CONUS, continental United States. But it, it's a real joy. I, I, it's one of the things that I like best about what I do is I get to spend time with uh, with veterans and, and also those in need too. You know, there's, they, they kind of go hand in hand because there's a lot of veterans that aren't doing well right now. And, and uh, you know, we're all trying to help them and uh, it's a good thing. You know, it, I couldn't agree more. By the way, those of you not in the know, Fry Field is the home of Airborne where paratroopers are taught to jump out of perfectly good airplanes and crash into the ground. Uh, but, you know, I, I have the same experience. I, uh, I very often after my speeches, after I talk, I get approached by veterans who've, who I knew from different walks of life. I didn't even know that we were on the same base, so we served with the same unit. And, you know, I couldn't agree more. So many of these guys are so in need of some assistance. Two things we should get together for a scotch sometime and talk about. The first is uh, our company is actually involved in a veteran suicide prevention 
capability that we're developing, AI-enabled conversational chatbots mm. to actually work with veterans who are in crisis. Yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. The other thing uh, we should talk about is we have put some effort into and we're going to be working, I think, Knockwood with Ernst Young shortly, standing up a program we call Reabled Veterans, where what we're saying, and very close, I think, to your heart, is, look, there are probably depending on what numbers you listen to, 500,000 to 2 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs in the U.S., well, who better to right, enable and put into these positions? And so why don't we reach into some of our service members? Anyway, different conversation for a different time, but really, I wanted to talk to you exactly about this topic, about Digital Doomsday. And what really teed this up for me, and the reason we were so anxious to reach out to you, I just had a conversation with two people working in Ukraine right now. One of them is still located in Kyiv, and the other one has just managed to escape Ukraine as a refugee, uh, but still runs a company there. And when we got talking, of course, what came up was, you'll probably remember back at around almost Christmas time, 2015, Russia shuts off all the electricity and heat right. across all of Western Ukraine. They turn the power off for six hours. Then the next year, they do the same thing in Kyiv. And they ended up using the sandworm virus, which is now sitting, as I understand it, dormant in many of our critical infrastructure systems here in the U.S. and in the West. Should we be worried or should I not care about that? No, you should be very worried. In fact, that, that's one of the things that kind of kicked the book off for me was, you know, I spent a lot of times with our a lot of our critical infrastructure uh, organizations, uh, cities, counties. Uh, what they call SLED, state, local education, as well as Fed. And, you know, going around and spending time with these executives and, you know, people really close to the action, what, what, what you see are some common threads. And those threads leave us very susceptible, as a, as a, not only as a city, not only as a county, not only as a country, but as you kind of, kind of see what's happening over there with Ukraine, just living just, just having the basic needs that you have to have to go day to day. Uh, and, and it's a dramatic change. Uh, I love your intro because it is very much like that. A lot of times you hear people say, well, are you ready to go back to the 1850s, yeah. right? And there is some truth to that, right? Uh, a lot of times people associate it with, you know, uh, um, some type of nuclear burst up above in the upper atmosphere that could, you know, knock everything out that's not in a Faraday cage. But in reality, um, it could happen online, through the internet. Um, cybersecurity is, is just, it's not where it needs to be. And uh, there's, there's quite a few of us out there that are starting to raise the flag and saying, look, you know, it's just a matter of time before we have a really large digital doomsday. But to your point, if you were to ask Ukraine, it already has happened several times. It, it has. But what do you say then to the the people who are, oh, chicken little, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. They told me Y2K, that planes would come falling out of the sky, which, by the way, I find one of the great ironies of history, that everyone was disappointed that nothing bad happened because, <laughs> you know, the geeks were doing their job and actually stood up. Yeah. It's like complaining that your building didn't burn down because you took prevention methods. <laughs> but, but what do you say to those people? The people who say, yeah, it could happen. I could get hit by a piece of Skylab. Who knows? Well, it's interesting when you look at what all the manufacturers are saying, when you look at all those out there that say nothing really bad is going to happen, even though it already has, right? It just depends on where you're located and, and what you what you think is um, basic for your daily living, right? What, what your standard of living is. 
but it's a bit like uh, reading a Dr. Seuss book <laughs> and a Stephen King novel together at the same time at 3 a.m. Wow, that's something I'm not going to get out of my head, but sure, go. <laughs> well, it's just, you know, because, and, and then you have all the marketing out there around cybersecurity. You know, people are talking about zero trust. They're talking about sassy and all these things. And, and, and what I think, me personally, and what I often evangelize to customers um, that are in places that are providing critical services to um, their constituents, uh, to their citizens, et cetera, is you've been spending money for the last 15 to 20 years on protect and detect. You've spent almost nothing yeah. on respond and recover. And that's a real problem. And so if you think about it, if you take the worst case scenario, the only way to be prepared for that is to put together a really good incident response plan tied to the emergency response plan of the overall organization, city, county, state, whatever it may be, and have that communicated, tested, and actionable. And unfortunately, that's just not the case. I was, there was a, and, and I want to be careful about, you know, putting too much information out there in certain ways, sure. but I was at a conference and I was keynoting and there was 228 organizations there. I asked them by show of hands, how many of you have an incident response plan? Four hands went up, four. Yeah, I think it's so important, the point you bring up here, which by the way, one of the other things you mentioned in passing was the book. I don't think you got away with that. We're gonna get back to the book. I wanna hear more about that. But what, what really catches me now is when you talk about the investments we're making in protecting and defending, to me, we're, we're digging deeper moats and we're shoring up the castle walls. But, you know, when something happens, who cares? Uh, and when we talk about the number of assaults that the average organization encounters, this is a statistical inevitability. It's not that they might get in, they're going to. And your point being, we don't have the digital equivalent to the count carbon counterpoint of, you know, do, do we just try to make our home safe? And then if there's a fire, we just say, eh, let's not worry about a fire department. Let's not worry about, you know, how to put the fire out. Let's not worry about, heaven forbid, how to recover the building. Is that what you're telling us? Yeah, I am. And actually, I, I want to I wanna go a little further with your analogy. Yeah. If, you, if you think about the moat in the castle, uh, pre the catapult, uh -huh. right, throwing fireballs and large objects that could actually penetrate those walls, they thought they had the perfect situation. I'm sure they were spending all their money on protected detect, and they were like, "Well, we don't need to worry about respond and recover because we're safe." Yeah. Then the then the, with the advent of the catapult, and all of a sudden that that becomes an issue, right? And I think you can look at it many many ways where it's very similar because with the COVID nineteen and the pandemic, you know, and, and the rise of remote work, the outlook now because the attack surface has more than doubled the amount of threat vectors has multiplied, the outlook for avoiding or preventing a digital doomsday are low and getting lower each day. Yeah. Because let me, these nation state actors, they're well financed, right? And they're making money. And the more money they make, the more they're going to do it, the more they're going to innovate. And then with deep fakes and artificial intelligence, uh, it's, you know, they're starting to do things with great speed and the evolving sophistication of those digital threats and that the bad actors are, are employing is stunning, just stunning. You know, I, I couldn't agree more, and, and I want to explore that more with you. One of the things you said really raised a point to me is how 
interrelated the systems are and how fragile they become as a consequence. You know, I, I'm starting to think, listening to you, that we need to start thinking about these as being almost equivalent to the same factors and transmission vectors that precipitate a pandemic, right? Population density, increased global contact, open borders, disregard of safety measures, distrust of expertise. You talk about all these things that create, you know, now the second great pandemic that we've seen within the last hundred years, the first was the same. It was precipitated by World War II and population densities and all these sort of things. And now with COVID, same thing. Uh, but what you're really making me think hard about is uh, Texas, right? That Texas power disaster in 2021, uh, I, I don't think that was by malicious actors, but it, from what you're saying, it sure could have been. It could, it could have been. And, you know, I live, I live in Texas and, and we, we had to move in with some, uh, some friends for four days. <laughs> we were without power. We had, we had basically nothing. And it was super cold. There was snow and ice. Uh, we had, we, you know, we had a cat and a dog and I have three girls and it was a mess. And I don't think people really realize. And, and you know, it's funny that this kind of as a species, that's kind of how we are. We're very resilient, right? We have short memories and, 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 and about things that are bad. We, we tend to remember the good. And I think that's great for us in one respect. But in this particular respect, it is not. I think it's probably, it probably could be seen as a vulnerability, yeah. right, um, to, you know, our, our human operating system. And when you think about that, that troubling evolution that I mentioned earlier, it can affect nearly everyone on the planet. And when you look at what we did to Iran, right. when, we, when we hit them, sure. it, it, hit, it, hit, it hit things outside of that. When they did that 2015 one in Ukraine, it hit, it, hit, it affected companies here in the U.S., uh, international, uh, you know, businesses. And mm -hmm. th there's a lot of unintended things that can happen for those that are not prepared, those that are not taking, uh, you know, the right actions. And, and and one of the things we often mention, and I really focus on this, is I hear this from a lot of public sector organizations that, that provide a lot of these services to us, right, is they need to do more with less, right? That even though there's tax money, you see what the California, the, the position they're in from collecting the tax money, they're almost broke. You hear all these other organizations. And so they're having to do more with less when the problem is that there's actually more to do. Right. So they have this stunning, stunning issue going on. And I don't think that gets as much press because there's no gain for any political organization out there to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're so right. And it's, it's funny how national defense, we never think about making those investments, but corporations, they talk about risk management quite often, but, and even nations, we, we don't see the cyber threat as being as real as it is. You, you mentioned uh, the Iranian facilities, you know, uh, those of you who are listening aren't familiar with this, the Stuxnet worm uh, that Mark's talking about infected, as I heard, more than 200,000 machines in 14 Iranian facilities and it ruined about 10% of the 9,000 centrifuges that were in the towns. Now, you could say, ha-ha, uh, it's Iranian, but that same virus jumped just like a biological virus. To Mark's point, it got out in the wild. Uh, this was something that was introduced at Natanz. This was a closed-loop facility, right? This was an air-gapped system. They got surreptitiously installed there which, you know, hey, that's tradecraft and that's good spies doing their thing. But what should concern people is it got out. So if it was air-gapped, it was hard to get in. But why should it have gotten out? And it did. And it spread like uh, a cyber pandemic, didn't it? 
It did. And there's been variations of it, just like we're having variations of COVID. Um, the variants, there's variants of Stuxnet. There's variants. And a lot of times they become a little bit nastier, a little bit more viral. Just like even even if you look at ransomware, where, you know, a lot of times it was just being used for ransom. Then then it turned into extortion. They were piping data out before they, they kicked off the ransomware, um, you know, going into your systems and encrypting them. And so, you know, the, the impact that that had is even if you did recover, they could still extort you. So, or if you used insurance or if you had good recovery systems, they could still extort you. Yeah. And so there's, there's, this, it's that type of sophistication that will continue to happen. Um, and with, with state sponsored bad actors, it'll happen faster and at a higher level. And I, and it's just a matter of time before some political organization for some country, it may be a country, it may be, you know, we, we have the rise of hacktivism. You saw what happened down in Florida at Fountain Blue right. at the big entertainment industry uh, event, uh, right, two years ago, or a year ago. Um, they went to it, and or, I'm sorry, it was right before COVID. They hit it, um, and they hit the, the Fountain Blue, the resort, and they hit the organization. They were down. It took eight and a half hours for people to check into the hotel. Yeah. Well, look, you talk about state actors, you talk about uh, ransomware, and you talk about entertainment. What brings back to me, uh, to mind for me, is uh, what we saw with North Korea. Yes. The Sony hack. The Sony hack. I remember I was working for Samsung at the time in South Korea. Uh, we were scared blind, right, that uh, they're going to take this across the border and basically do to South Korea what Russia did to the Ukraine. Why not? And from what I understand, that same hack turned into the WannaCry ransomware that North Korea is now using as a means to generate revenue. And they're leveraging a combination of that and things that were made right here in the good old U.S. of A., right? Uh, the U.S. Uh, is eternal blue zero-day exploits that were developed initially for NSA. We're starting to, to your point, these are, are not just mutating, they're metastasizing. And so we're, we have this spread that we can't contain. Is is that a fair estimation? Am I overly dramatizing this? Nothing drives further innovation and more business than a series of wins. Yeah. Right? A series of little wins, right? You, you and I are both uh, veterans. A series of wins, right? <laughs> series of wins and battles drives the overall war. Yep. This is this is a very similar thing. If you're Think about it. If we put our hat on, our bad actor hat on, and we think like them, and we start thinking about, you know, I can, I have things, you know, I have lots of tools. I have killware. I have extortion. I have ransomware. I have artificial intelligence. I've got deep fakes. And it doesn't take a whole lot to become a bad actor, right? For $25,000, you can go out and get a SaaS version of it in, on the dark web, which is totally true. Yeah. And you could be a ransomware gang yourself. Get a few and a couple of your buddies, grab a couple of beers, be a ransomware gang. And it's just when you have kind of – people around the world that don't have a way to financially take care of themselves or they have a deep need to rise up, right? Or in the face of hacktivism, they just want to hurt somebody and there's nothing you can do. They're going to go to these tools. And as these tools become easier and easier to get to and use and deploy, it's, it's going to get worse. That's why I was talking about this and why it's so important is it, this is getting worse. We already see that. We have, we have data the last few years. It's a growing crisis, and it's not getting better. Well, and you, and you raise another very 
well, many, many interesting and important points, but one that particularly strikes a chord with me as you're saying it, we're not just talking about the rise of cyber crime per se. And I've long said, I think in, inevitably we're going to see organized cyber crime, right? Yes. We're going to see what happened with narcotics. We're going to see what happened with gambling, et cetera. Organizations are going to get more collaborative. They're going to work together, form these entities, heaven help us all. But your point that you made that I, I think is so stunning is it's almost easier to deal with them than the ideologues. What happens when it is hacktivism, when it is state-sponsored cyber terrorism, when in essence, their objective is chaos, and it's not that you can write a check. So that said, Mark, do we just pull the covers of our head? Should we rend our garments? And, you know, how do we avoid the attention-seeking things, you know, th th those protect and defend, as you were talking about, and focus on the not-so-sexy, right? How do we focus or get organizations or countries or whomever to focus more on recovering efforts, on responding, instead of just digging those deeper moats and reinforcing the castle walls. How do we do that? Yeah, you know, I wish I had all the answers. Uh, I obviously don't, but 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 I will say this. I, I do like the fact that uh, we're seeing the rise of zero trust, and um, one of the one of the things is that is that you are going to get hit, right? And that you need to spend. You need to authenticate internally. I mean, uh, internal breaches and hacks are, are big and happening all every day, um, whether it be a report or not is another thing. Yeah. So having, uh, having, having a framework, you know, the NIST and Zero Trust and being able to use those and utilize those frameworks so that you don't trust anybody anytime. Uh, you, and if you do trust, you verify is very very important because once they get in those organizations that east west movement they can get they can get whatever it is they want and you know these critical services it, it, so if you were looking at this from a, a purely social aspect or a political aspect this has the ability to increase the divide between the haves and the have nots no. and you and you're already seeing it right you, through financial manipulation uh consumer trust uh you know job issues hacktivism, all the things you're not talking about. So the only way to do this um, to at least with the current set of tools that we have is to look at frameworks like zero trust, to spend more money on, you know, uh, respond and recover, to look at things that are, are providing that, you know, you look at the uh, containers right now, uh, the Kubernetes containers that a lot of the backup and restore folks are using it's very, very powerful, right? Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to help you recover as fast as, as possible. Sure. And so yeah. that you can shorten any of that. And, and, and here's the problem with those. They're complicated. You have to know when the restore point is exactly. You don't know when that was planted. Right. The average time between when it's planted and when the organization becomes aware is 267 days. Yeah. You know, I, I was just going to say... Um, the recent stats I looked at from Forbes say 97% of companies have had a cyber breach within the last year, which means 3% probably just weren't sophisticated enough to know they've been breached or they're lying. Pretty much it's everyone, right? But that 267 days, and then from what I'm seeing, it takes another average of 78 days to address it and fix it, which is consistent with what we saw with the SolarWinds hack and attack. It is. Not to do shameless self-promotion here, but... Uh, we created a product we call uh, CodeLock, which was targeted to do exactly that, to, to be able to monitor 
software in real time and be able to see when any of these insertion attacks occurred, to be able to uh, basically augment those the moat and the walls by, it, you know, it kills me. I have an ADT alarm system in my house and I have motion detectors. <laughs> and, you know, if someone gets in the house, I still want to know. Yeah. And my concerns, once they've, you know, gotten past the front wall, I want to know when they're in the house. And I want to know if it's the cat or the dog or if it's, you know, a really big bad guy who's in here. But one of the phrases you had, I, I got to tell you, I already wrote it down and I'm going to literally, I'm going to put it on a plaque on the wall in my office, <laughs> the, the, the old saying used to be trust, but verify. And what you said was don't trust and verify. Yes. I love that. I think that becomes the new mantra. Yeah. I, I, you have to, you don't trust anybody. That idea of trust and explicitly, but then verify. I don't buy that at all. In fact, I think that's a misnomer. I think you don't trust anybody. And then you put the systems in that can then authenticate them verify they are verifying where the, where their device is what the devices they're using where that device is being used at yeah. and then if indeed they do want to move east and west verify again uh, kill sessions that's a that's another one that we talk about people all the time I, I had an organization and, and the guy rightfully so the CISO was bragging a little bit about all the things that they had done and they and to be honest and, and to be fair they had done quite a bit but we got in there and I luckily had a little nugget, information nugget that one of my engineers had given me and he had mentioned that they still hadn't uh, worked out the session issue, right? So if you uh, if you uh, uh, log in create with your identity and you kick off a session, that session, unless it's killed or, you know, respun, it, it can go on forever. Right. And if somebody were to get hold of that session, they didn't have the escalated privileges and can move east and west. Which by the way, as simple as, I don't know, timing it out, which is something we've been done. We've been doing <laughs> since the beginning of the mainframes, right? It's the mainframe. That's exactly right. Exactly. Since uh, even when I'm young, you know, we, we're already doing this. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, let me put on, I, I'm a geek, but I'm also a shrink, um, I should tell you. And let me put on my shrink hat for a minute. And, and here's another layer to the problem I see. And, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. Every time there's a large attack, right? Solo ends or not Petya. We have one of these catastrophes. Everybody runs around and is all excited. We get a lot of passion around it for about 15 minutes, right? Then we move on. And so, you know, the, the respond and the recover ain't sexy. No one wants to talk about the mop-up. I would never trivialize it, but you're calling me today from Texas. And those listening, this is to put a, a date on this conversation today. We just saw the shooting in this massacre in Uvalde, Texas, just a couple of weeks ago. And, well, today we're having the first of the January 6th committee public hearings. People are already moving on, which breaks my heart. But, you know, everyone was talking about responsible gun ownership, uh, which no matter what side of the argument you're on, come on. I mean, we can all agree that an 18-year-old doesn't need to have a fully automated uh Uzi or flamethrower, let alone an AR-15. You and I are both military guys. We can agree that, um, yes, we had guns. We had a whole lot of training. And if you want a gun, they're taking applications right now. Yes, they are. <laughs> but wherever you are on the Second Amendment issue, to me, is irrelevant. I think especially in the wake of Uvalde, in the wake of all these other tragic shootings that have occurred, we all say we got to do something. For about a week, two weeks, 
three weeks. Cyber is less attention grabbing than that. Yes. Right. It's still sort of an abstraction and it's, you know, hey, you know, uh, I heard about this SolarWinds thing, but I don't run a cyber company. Who gives a damn? How do we keep people focused? Yeah, I think I think it's a real problem. And, you know, if you look even beyond the shooting, which was tragic and, and some of the things, you know, we have a, we have our own campus security product, which is made up of that. And that's thing called Olympus because we do a lot of uh, high schools, right? We do a lot of schools, K-12, K uh, preschool, et cetera. We do them coast to coast. And I spend a lot of time with those uh, people that run the technology for that, as well as, as you know, um, superintendents and board members and talking to them. And you're right, it just moves on. And, and nothing's really done of any deal. It's up to them to take some of that E-rate money take some of the other types of funding that exist out there and put these systems in place to be able to shut that down. It's obviously that, you know, there, there could have been some better systems and some better support, yeah. but depending on who you listen to about there. But if you move beyond some of those and go to things that could, can impact our daily life across a lot, much larger scope, not to, not to do, not to, you know, de-emphasize any of those because those are tragic. I have three kids. It, it really hurt my heart. Um, and I'm, and it hurt us all. But right now we have all the supply chain issues, right? We have, I, I flew out of RSA yesterday and as we were leaving SFO, just ship after ship after ship after ship sitting out of that harbor. Yeah. And, you, and you know, you can, now they're shipping cars that don't have chips for the air conditioning in the back right. and, the, and the, the systems in the back. Supply chains affecting um, all of the critical infrastructure that we're shipping out, everything. There's chips now in power transformers there's routers, switches, firewalls, all of it. But breaches are happening in supply chains. If, if they hit the supply chain right, we'd be in deep trouble. Yeah, and to me, there's a, a deeper level of that is within the supply chain. Do you know the provenance of the chip that's in your washing machine, that's in your thermostat, that's in, heaven forbid, your military drone? Yeah. Do you, are you aware or cognizant of those things? Could we have the capability to look back to the provenance, to the, the production, to the process, to whatever went into that. We don't have that, not only for chips, we don't have that for our food supply. And and from what I hear you saying, Mark, is, you know, it reminds me, uh, the old phrase, you know, when did Noah build the ark, right? <laughs> Before the flood. And so wh what's your guidance? What's your advice to organizations? If I'm, you know, Joe CEO, right now of a, never mind a Fortune 500, 5,000, I have unlimited resources. I right now am, let's pretend the CEO of a, a mid-cap company, right, located here in the US, and I'm not a cyber company per se, but even if I'm a manufacturing organization, a service organization, should I be concerned with this and what should I do? Yeah, you should. And, and, you know, if you think about our military days, when I, when I was in the Rangers, our job was to go behind the lines and kill the supply chain, right? And, and make sure that they could not operate. It's it, You can't, and the Russians are finding out, if you don't, you can't feed your army. If you can't supply your army, your army can't do anything. Yep. They can't move forward. They can't, they can't secure things. Uh, they can't, you know, do the things that they need to do as an organization uh, themselves. And, so if you think about that, if you're if you're one of these organizations out there that you just described, there's some simple things you can do. They'll have big impact. One of those is MFA. If you don't have, it's, it's, it's stunning to me 
that with so much MFA ability out there, that's very easy to buy. It's called multi-factor authentication. That could be you log in with a username, password, and it sends you a text. And then you check, yes, that is me, right? It's what, and what it's doing, it's checking to see if I logged in in Austin and then 45 minutes later, I logged in in Shanghai. We have a problem, <laughs> Houston, right? That's an issue. As if we have a problem, Houston. Yeah. So, and, and it does other things along that way. And since we talked about, you know, uh, a lot of this has to do with identity. And identity is, an, it has a, is a growing crisis and that, that, that leads to a lot of the, the bad things that go on. So if you think about that, having good multi-factor, good identity, yeah. that you have identity and access management, you have privilege access management. If you have a good identity stack, right? That's great for an organization. Right. Second thing is also segment your traffic. Do you want your uh, this the information for your ERP, right? Your accounting going over the same one as your marketing? You want to lose both of them at the same time, right? So yeah. think about that. And they, it's called segmentation. Right. Yeah. And those are the two pillars of zero trust is identity and segmentation. And then last but not least, and this is one that's very near and dear to my heart. I spent an incredible amount of time uh, speaking, uh, I did 47 events last year, and I speak about this all the time. You must have good incident response. You got to have your respond and recover, right? And it's bigger than just your digital exposure. It is you saw what happened to Valdi. It needs to it needs to involve your entire organization, both digital and non-digital. Yep. And we're talking about communication plans. We're talking about campus safety. We're talking about all those things that are around us humans and make it vulnerable and make the organization vulnerable. So that tees up for me. The the question I've been dying to ask you is the magic wand question, right? If you got to say thou shalt, whether that's by law, by edict, by, I don't know, just making it the logical thing to do, what is the one thing or few things you would say right now if we do this, maybe not prevent all these disasters, but we will mitigate it. And, and so I'm asking, is digital doomsday inevitable? And I, I hope you'd say it's probable, but it's not inevitable. And if it's not inevitable, is there anything we can do beyond these things? Is this really the core, the essence of it is these three things? We, you know, we have digital response teams. We use better identification mechanisms. And we make sure there's no single point of failure. Uh, it, and I'm just paraphrasing you. Yes. But that's what I hear you saying is, you know, let's do these things better. Yeah, no, I think you're right on track. And, and, and that's a good summation because here's the thing. Most of the big attacks are zero day or zero day related. You, so all that protect and detect that you did has going to have minimal impact on those, right? Or there are things that have been sitting in your network or in your environment and you were unaware of them for 200 plus days. Yeah. Um, so obviously you were not prepared. So if you take that in and, and it's not inevitable, but it is highly, highly probable. And I say it's highly probable because it's already happened. Yeah. If you're, if you're in Ukraine, it's already happened. If you're in Iran, it's already happened. You know, if you're Sony, it's already happened, right? It, the impact on their stock and on, on their brand reputation was un, immeasurable. Yeah. You look at how many even small companies getting hit by ransomware. It's already happened. It is. Right? An organization you work in or work with or, or, or a customer of has been hit. Uh, or, or the city, the municipality, 
The government has been hit. Yes. How many police departments, hospitals? Uh, it, it's just mind-boggling. So that said, um, before I let you get away, tell me a little about the book. You know, I spent a tremendous amount of time out there, and there's others like Chuck Brooks and, and Joe Peterson that are out there sure. fighting the good fight. And I'm not trying to leave anybody out. There's there's plenty of others that are out there that are trying to you know carry this forward and 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 do the things that we need to do and raise the flag a little bit. There's some good vendors out there as well, manufacturers that are trying to do the same. But it, it just left me. I don't think the full amount of the threat, the size of the threat, the rapid rise of unfortunate algorithms, the weaponization of social media, the supply chain breaches, artificial intelligence ethics. You start thinking about all these things. And if you look back five years ago, half of those didn't even exist. Yeah. And in five years, we're going to have five more and five more. And so we're seeing the bad actors are able to evolve faster and quicker because they don't have to go to boards for approval. They don't have to go try to get funding. They've got to do all that. <laughs> so it just drove me to write this book. What's the working title? The working title is Digital Doomsday, Seven Dark Truths About Cybersecurity. Well, that's a happy note. Sure. It is. It is. And, and, and but, but the sum of that is, is, is how you can move and maneuver past them. Right. And I want to provide some of that. Um, the, the, in fact, the, the cover is a black cover with a nuclear like mushroom cloud made of zeros and ones. You know, when you think about it, it can knock down a city services, critical services, power, water, all the things, trash services, everything that we depend on. Right. Yeah. The, the, it can knock those out very, very easily. We saw what happened in Baltimore, saw what happened in Atlanta. It's just a matter of time before a really big city is going suffers a Ukraine similar type of deal, but without the military hardware. And it'll have a vast impact. It'll be destabilizing. It'll lead to all kinds of mistruths and, and things out there. And, you know, it's just a matter of time. So I think we have to start investing in the respond and recover. And so that's what the book's about. And, yeah. and and look, it even covers things like cyber war and digital big brother. I think those are things we have to be open and talk about because those things are happening. And then at the end, near the end of the book, I put a blueprint to reduce organizational risk. So I provide a little blueprint. So there's a silver lining at the end. I agree with you. In fact, when I got done with most of it, I was like, this is very dark. <laughs> got to put some silver lining in there. Put a treasure map at the end. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I, I'm sure you probably saw the book or read the book. Uh, this is how they tell me the world ends by Nicole Perlroth, right? Her her subtitle was the Cyber Weapons Arms Race. Yes. In fact, I just I just listened to a podcast she was on, and it was fantastic. Yeah. If those of you are listening, great book. But and not to take anything away from her, she's a journalist. She's not a, a practitioner like you are, Mark. But she kind of lends ends the book with, you know, let's all pray. Uh, so it'll be heartening yes. that, that you bring people to that place. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned Baltimore. Uh, one of my dearest friends is the former mayor of Baltimore and governor of Maryland, Martin O'Malley, who happens to have been the guy who datafied government. He brought data to, uh, you know, extended what they did in New York with CompStat and and some of that work, he brought it to everything from trash collection to, as you were speaking about, and Martin and I have talked about this, and the the degree of exposure as a consequence of the digitization 
of all of our infrastructure just so lends itself to this. So it's it's so heartening to me to see that you're bringing attention to this vitally important issue, which I think is the first step. If people aren't going to pay attention to it, then it's meaningless. But then you're taking people by the hand to some extent. You're saying, you know what, this is not an easy thing, but it's a, there are solutions. It's tractable. We can do something. We don't have to just pull the covers of our head and say, all is nigh. Yeah, it's making the right investments, right? One of the other things, you know, as we close here, that really got me as a, as a military guy is that when I started hearing and digging into uh, autonomous uh, tanks, hypervelocity weaponry, autonomous target selection, orbital, orbital bombardment, these type of things, these are technologies that billions and billions of black black money dollars are going in, mm-hmm. right? And being invested in, not just by the US, by, and so when they make those investments, and you know this just like I do, haven't been in the military, when they make those investments, they are going to use them at some point. They will. They, it's inevitable. That is it. I will say that one is inevitable. Once they make that investment, there's generals lines, uh, there's admirals reputations on the line. They did it. it. They're going to use it. So we as a species have got to wake up and start to take not only for companies and organizations that we work at or we own or we rely on, but also for our homes, for our families and all that, we've got to start taking some some actions. And those actions need to be built around reducing our risk, right? And driving towards having, being aware of your surroundings and constantly evolving with those. Because, you know, right now it's mainly faced to organizations. We are starting to see it happen to people, right? We, we hear about this all the time. There's uh, there's sextortion and all this other stuff. That is a that is a growing trend as well. So it, you know, we, we you and I spent a lot of time on 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 military and and on commercial organizations today. But there's there's a lot more to this. And then so that that was really one of the drivers for the book, and why I'm so thrilled to talk to you today. Yeah, and, and I'd say to your point, the the final point I would make is your point that I think all these uh, well intentioned preparations are fantastic, and I wouldn't. Neither of us would ever discourage anyone. I don't think from from preparing, from defending, from trying to mediate, mitigate, stop, prevent. But to your point, you can't shirk your responsibility to respond and recover as well. You have to prepare yourself. I think I'm hearing you say for those inevitabilities. And if not, well, shame on you. Well, I'm saying I'm saying if you're living in Texas, as an example, right? We'll use the use case. Go get a power generator, right? Make sure that it does multiple different kinds of fuel, right? Most of them now do two or three types of fuel. Get you a power generator, get you a solar charger, um, you know, do some of the things you need to do for your family. I'm not talking about these doomsday prepping type of thing. I'm talking about just basic things to make sure that while they're recovering their services, that you're, you're prepared for you and your family. What a great analogy. That's a great analogy. You know, I just, I'm talking to you from my New Jersey home. We went through Sandy, and fortunately, we had a generator. I just went out and bought a new generator that works on gasoline and propane. Yeah. And you know what? You do. We're looking at, can we also get a battery pack? It's a <laughs> great point, Mark. It's been great talking to you. I, I really appreciate you taking the time for the conversation. Hopefully, you enjoyed it half as much as I did. 
I think, you know, I want to thank you and your, and your team. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was really amazing. Uh, Jake and Rebecca, you know, really brought it together. I, I've just, I've really enjoyed the conversation and spending time with you. And anytime I can spend time with a fellow vet talking about things to help the world be better, I'm really thrilled to do it. Well, it's always good to talk to a vet. One with a, yeah, I'll, I'll settle for one with a tab who doesn't have a little green hat, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> JT, you, you hit me hard there. <laughs> there we go. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you for your service, for your continued service. I really appreciate it. And I'll look forward to talking to you again after the book comes out, if you wouldn't mind. Maybe we'll touch base and uh, we can remind people of some of these issues and, and help you promote uh, this thinking. JT, I look forward to it. I really do. Thank you. Take care. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us for this episode. We really appreciate your support and hope you enjoyed the conversation. We just wanted to take this opportunity to remind everyone that the Tomorrow Today podcast is a nonprofit venture committed to bringing awareness to important social issues. Funding for this episode, like all our episodes, has been provided by Protected by AI and Codelock. Protected by AI develops leading-edge solutions at the intersection of technology and psychology. Check out some of the ways Protected by AI can revolutionize your organization by visiting protectedby.ai. Protectedby.ai. And Codelock? Codelock is a game-changing software security solution that the U.S. Department of Homeland Security has said, and I'm quoting you, quote, Codelock appears to have the capability to stop the most sophisticated criminal malware, end quote. You can learn more about Codelock by visiting codelock.it, codelock.it. And uh, yeah, thanks again for tuning into the conversation. And please do check out Protected by AI and Codelock. Tomorrow Today is only possible because of their sponsorship and because you're listening. And be sure to visit us at our website, tomorrowtoday.show, where you'll find show notes, links, and most importantly, ways to subscribe to the show. You can also give us a review, leave us a message, or tell us what topics you'd like us to address in upcoming episodes. Thanks to all of you again for joining the conversation and for helping us make a better tomorrow today. <laughs>